We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations, you planted our ancestors, you crushed the peoples, you made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep, and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their head at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame. At the taunts of those who reproach and revile me, because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it? since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust, our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. In preparing for worship today, it was difficult to find songs that were appropriate for the moment. But several passages from the Bible came to mind. And if you look at people of the Bible, um, the cry of their heart, their worship to God, it's actually really messy and I think oftentimes in worship, we try to make it feel good. We don't really want to make it so messy and uncomfortable. But the worship of the Bible often is uncomfortable. It challenges us. It challenges our faith. It challenges our trusting God. And they went there. But in the end, God is glorified and God welcomes that struggle in our faith. So let's go there too. Um, let's challenge ourselves. And after the song, there'll be some verses from the Bible. Please just reflect upon them 
in silent meditation. Let this be the cry of our heart. How long must we wait, Lord? How long must the earth cry out from the blood-stained ground? How long must we call, Lord? How long? How long? How long must we wait, Lord? How long must the earth cry out? From blood-stained ground How long must we call, Lord? How long? How long? We pray May your kingdom come May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let justice roll like a river washing our sins, the sins of the world. Never ending stream does a prayer. 
oppressed and in need. Let justice roll like a river. Shing o'er our sins, the sins of the kingdom come may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven let justice roll like a river washing our sins the sins of the world let justice Righteousness flow, a never-ending stream for those oppressed and need. Let justice roll like a river, washing our our sins, the sins of the world. Let judgment
Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on Zoom. Uh, if you're watching later, thank you for, for tuning in. We're just happy to have you here in our service. Um, special thank you to our worship team this morning who worked so hard and really have um, allowed God to search their own hearts. And what they're doing is really brave, um, just bearing their souls um, and their just emotions before all of us. And I'm blessed every time I, I'm led by them. So thank you, David. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you, Chris and Kevin. Um, thank you for leading us in that lament in the beginning and for those songs. Um, yeah, it's been a crazy week, guys. It's been a crazy week. And um, call it end times. You can call it left behind. You can call it the last hour. You can call it whatever you want. But all we know is it seems to be never ending. Um, on top of a global pandemic that has forced us to stay in our homes, quarantine since early March. Um, now for the past week, we have been forced in our homes um, under curfew due to civil unrest in what seems like every single major city in America, even Dublin, there was a protest. As a quick frame of reference, just talking about last times, um, I was in middle school during 9-11. Um, 2001. In 2020, this year, the past three months, they have felt much more like the end times to me than anything that happened on September 11th. Um, so yeah, right off the bat, let's get something straight. This is a crazy time in our country's history. It's, it's incredible what is happening. Some things need to be said right now by me, your pastor, to you, the church. First is this, racism is a sin. Racism is a sin. Racism goes against the gospel. It goes against the teachings of Jesus, and it goes against the heart of God for his church. Why? God loves justice. He loves righteousness. He is for the oppressed. I just did a quick search. It's all over scripture. God is for the oppressed. And if you don't know what oppression is talking about, just people are crying out, not because they are angry, not because they are upset, it's because they are oppressed. And we're seeing firsthand in our country what an oppressed people look like when they cry out. And God says he is for the oppressed. He is for justice. He loves justice. And even in the New Testament, even in, I didn't put it up here, but even in the New Testament, um, the gospel breaks down the barriers that are between different ethnic groups and different cultures, between Jew and Samaritan, between the world, between Gentile and Hebrew. The word of God speaks out against showing even partiality, against showing favoritism because of, uh, because of a certain ethnic group that you're part of or because of how much money that you can donate to the church. And that's the great mystery of the gospel. The great mystery of the gospel is it goes beyond the barrier of skin color. It goes beyond the barrier of culture. It goes beyond the barrier of geography. The gospel is good news. The good news is the good news for a world filled with hate. It's filled with anger. It's filled with racism. It's filled with looting. It's filled with just different types of people never understanding each other. And I, you know, I think it's great to see so many churches and so many Christians 
really speak into this and to stand up and 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 show um, show the world that the church is on the right side of history here in this sense. And I encourage you, if you feel convicted, to stand up as well. There's obviously a godly way to protest, and there's an ungodly way to protest. And as a church, as Christians, I encourage you to be salt and light, to ground your values and beliefs in the truth of Scripture, but to also move with the power of God. Truth paired with power. It's transformational. We need both of that. Now, speaking more personally now, um, you know, I'm Asian. If you're watching this, most likely you relate to being Asian or um, Asian American. Um, and as an Asian person here in the Bay Area, I honestly don't have many connections with the African American community here. Even the pastors that I meet up with on a semi-regular basis, it's an Asian American pastoring group. <laughs> um, and so, and I even think back to my high school, um, mostly Asian Asian people. I think back to my, my Berkeley experience here um, in the Bay. Again, most of my friends were mostly Asian. Um, and so I think back to my seminary days after Berkeley. It's a very interesting time for me. Um, growing, growing up here, growing up in, in New Jersey as well, um, it, was, it was really different than when I ex what I experienced culturally living in downtown Chicago. Um, my seminary, Moody Seminary, was located right at the intersection of, of privilege and poverty. Um, if I could contextualize it here in, in the Bay, it's like an SF um, in between, right next, like from Union Square to the Tenderloin. We were right in between. On one side, if you stepped east off of our campus, um, you get to a place called the Gold Coast. <laughs> And literally, it's lined with luxury stores. I can't pronounce any of those names. It led straight to the, the nice beach along the lake. Um, it's called the Magnificent Mile as well. Um, so that's to the east. West off of campus, it's called Cabrini Green, which was housing projects. A lot of minorities there, a lot of African Americans there, a lot of gang violence there in the 80s, tapering down until 2000s. But it was really interesting. Moody's directly in the middle between, in that intersection between privilege and poverty. And I feel like as Asians, we're kind of in that intersection as well. This conversation about race in our country, um, about racism in particular, is very, very tricky as an Asian person. Um, it's very tricky. Because in some senses, especially here as Asians, um, Asian Americans, Asian immigrants who are living in this country, I think for the most part, we, we, when I say racism, you're going to think of racism to us, racist acts that we have experienced as the victim, being of a victim of racism. So when we look at police brutality, we look at the Black Lives Matter movement, we look at white supremacy. As Asians, I think our tendency is to stay on the sideline. Our tendency is to um, just retreat a little bit, not stir the pot, to not say too much, not get involved. But as a Christian, as the people of God, and even just as citizens here in this country, 
I think that there is more that we can do. There's more that we can do. As God works in our hearts, as if, you've getting, if you're getting my emails, I, I use this phrase that I got from a pastor that I've, I respect a lot. Um, he said, God is doing a work of exposing. And at that time, he was talking about the pandemic, um, the, the coronavirus. I believe God is still continuing in that work of exposing. And now it's even cutting even a little bit deeper, especially for our country. As God exposes the darkness in us, as God exposes the, 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 the hatred in our own hearts, as he exposes the sin in our own hearts, as he exposes the, the privilege in our own hearts, as he exposes the, the jealousy in our own hearts, the lust in our own hearts, um, it doesn't end with just shame. No. God doesn't just shine a light and say, you are so bad. He shines a light to heal us, to restore us, so that we can be sent out again to be agents of restoration. And so as an Asian person, I think I'm fighting against right now the tension. As an Asian Christian, you know, American person, all of those things all, all at once, the tension here is, am I going to just internalize everything that's happening? Or am I going to allow God to shine a light on me and to work in my heart and to restore me as well so that I can be sent out to do something to, to, to restore and to bring the kingdom of God here on earth? And I, 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 I think for, for a lot of us here, um, you know, these are like verses that we're pretty familiar with. Um, but this, the times that we're living in, they deserve, it just deserves a little bit more engagement from us as, the, as a, a church like ours, church made up of Asian and Asian American people for the most part. I think this is, there's a, a song that we've been singing, Another in the Fire, in this, and they use the phrase reckoning. <laughs> I, I don't want to over-dramatize what's happening here, but I just have, I've never, have you ever lived in a time like this? Just think about it. Have you ever lived in a time like this? Um, you know, racism is nothing new. Um, you know, thinking back to high school, it's something that I learned about. Um, thinking back to college, my sociology classes, all the things that I've learned about in the past in history. Racism is nothing new, but <laughs> we're living 2020. Everything about the past week, week and a half has been extremely familiar. You know, the worst kind of deja vu. You see police brutality, someone dying at, in, the, in police custody. We've been here many times before as a country, but it seems like people now are finally getting it. Even the NFL gets it now. Um, People are angry enough, motivated enough to try to actually change things. So if you are in that boat as well, you want to try to change things, know that for sure God is on the side of those who are oppressed, that he is a God of justice. He loves justice. Um, and that he, you know, makes in him, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no slave, there's no free. You know, in Christ, we are all equal. Um, but also the great mystery of the gospel is that it, breaks down the wall and it goes into just beyond what 
the Jewish believers at the time were thinking, but it goes to people that they that were their enemies. And that's the mystery and the, the crazy good news of the gospel. Um, so if you feel like you are convicted to to protest in, in the ongoing protests um, surrounding this, I encourage you to follow your heart, to to um, I encourage you to follow your convictions, to, to go and protest, um, but to do so in a way that preserves your gospel witness. Because first and foremost, you are a Christian. You are a Christian first, all right? American citizen second. But if you don't feel convicted to go and protest, if you want to just take some time, just stay at home and 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 you just don't you just don't want to get involved. That's okay too. Um, that really is okay. Do not do not feel pressured or guilted into doing so. But I, I encourage you to to learn and to grow in this moment. That's what I mean. There's there's something more for us. It might not look like protest. Um, definitely not looting. But if if we just ignore what's happening. We bottle it up. We just ignore it. Um, we've missed a crazy opportunity in our country's history. So I encourage you, if you're gonna if you're gonna stay home, really engage with your heart. Let God do the work of exposing in your heart, so that you can be healed, so that you can grow, so that you can learn. So go to God on your knees. Whew. That was the intro to this message. <laughs> I'll keep it short from now on. So with all, I promise. Um, so with all this talk of of um, death, mortality, of quarantine, of isolation, of curfew, um, now brokenness and racism and systemic injustice and police brutality and looting and riots and even just a couple days ago, wildfires in South San Jose. It's a lot. So today's message, because of the text that we're in, following our, our sermon series, the, 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 the message for today is about burnout and how to get out of it. So before we get into it, let's pray. Let's pray. Oh God, we come before you asking, how long? How long, Lord? How long must we suffer? How long must we wait how long must those who are oppressed, who are seeking justice, how long, Lord, must they wait as well? So God, move in your timing, we pray. Move. Your name is at stake, God. Your glory is at stake. We pray, God, that you would move to heal, to restore, to correct, to judge, to transform, God, to let your kingdom come here on earth. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, have mercy on us. Speak to us in this time. Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. So before we dive into today's text, let's look back a little bit, quick recap about where we came from in our sermon series. We were talking about the essentials of the Christian life, what it means to fellowship with God. To fellowship with God first, most importantly, encounter Jesus. Encounter the living word of life. Encounter the, the incarnate Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's about confession, not perfection. Confession, meaning that we don't, we don't hide our sins from God. We go to God on our knees in confession. Third, 
There's evident love for your church. What does it mean to walk in light? What does it mean to be in fellowship with God? It means that God's love is in you and that you love the people around you. You love your church. But also, when push comes to shove, if you have to choose between the world, loving the world and all the things of the world, or loving God, you're going to choose loving God. Love the Father. We are his children, and so we love the Father. That's where we come from in First John, the first couple chapters. Um, today we're going to continue in First John chapter 2. We're going to make this real quick for you guys because I don't think this is very complicated. Even though it is slightly controversial, it's not complicated. So First John chapter 2, verse 18. Follow along on the screen or turn in your Bibles with me. First John chapter 2, verse 18 says this, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has the Son. Whoever acknowledges the, fa uh, the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. So this is the passage for today, and I want to really quickly just set the stage, get through some of the controversial things and confusing things so that we can get to what this is really talking about. First of all, just from this part here, we get a little bit of the reasoning as to why this letter existed in the first place. And we get a, a little bit into the reasoning as to what split John's church. What split John's church? Um, and so verse 26 here is the purpose of the, the whole letter. I am writing these things to you, verse 26. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. So here's that, here's that conflict that has taken place inside of the church that John has planted and is pastoring. Basically, there was a group of people that were trying to bring what's left of John's church with them out of the church. That they have now since moved on from the teachings of John, and now they've started their own kind of group, or own sect, and are trying to lead the rest of the people in the church out. They're trying to lead them astray. And so John's writing to his church, telling them and describing them in very unflattering terms um, about you know who these people are and why you should stay with John. Um, so as we get into the, like some of the little bit of controversial things here, um, last hour, antichrist, can one lose their salvation? Let's go through this real quickly. Last hour, yes, it is the last hour. It was then and it is now the last hour. Christ can come at any moment. Christ can come now. Okay, he's not here. But <laughs> this is the last hour. Um, basically, it means that at any moment, Christ could come back. At any moment, Christ can come back. 
Antichrist? What is he talking about here? Um, so the Antichrist, we can think of, you know, if those are churchy people like me, um, you grew up reading Left Behind books, you're thinking the Antichrist is like this world leader, all these other things. That's not exactly what John's talking about here. He's actually referring um, to that group of people that wanted to pull people away from John's church. He's calling them the Antichrist. So verse 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. So under this definition, anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ is technically, by this definition, an Antichrist. I mean, it's it's a very different, um, you know, combining it with the last hour, it, it can very much lead us to interpret it in a way where, like, oh, the Antichrist, the, the beast, and all these other confusing things of the book of Revelation. But in this context, John is referring to this group of people who are trying to lead the church astray as Antichrist. And so the, the crazy thing is about this group is they used to be a part of this church. They used to be under John's pastoring. So did they lose their salvation? John argues that they never were saved in the beginning. Their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And here's, here's where we check ourselves. Um, can you lose your salvation? No, you cannot lose your salvation. Um, can, you, can you leave the church? Yes, you can leave the church. Um, and here's where it gets a little complicated. Um, because we think about things in the theological sense, but here John's thinking in the pastoral sense. He's thinking about his own church, his own people, um, and to a certain extent, to his own limited knowledge, you know, what does a person's actions say about their heart, right? He says this, their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And I think that's just a truth that your actions, your life shows the, the, the metal of your heart. It shows your faith and what you really believe. Your actions, the way that you live shows your salvation, whether you are saved. Not that you work for it, not that you earn your salvation through your works or your, the way that you live, but your life naturally, people, especially Christians, can see your life and the salvation of God in you. And that's the truth there. So you can't lose your salvation, but the way that you live shows your salvation, displays your salvation, right? Okay, so kind of past this confusing, controversial part, um, basically what this whole passage is talking about is, is here. Let me um, do this thing right here where um, gets rid of the underlying part. John is saying this, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they're going to show that none of them belong to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. So, John is saying this, if you stay with Jesus, if you stay with the church, if you stay with the church, 
That is how you know that you are in the truth, that you are in fellowship with God. That's the whole message of this book, right? How to stay in fellowship with God, how to walk in the light. Part of that now is this, you stay together. You stay with, you stay, you remain. And this, this word remain comes up so often um, in this, just this passage here. Uh, let me see if I can get it. Let me, I, here we go. So just in, in verse 19, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained, right? Remained. Next, the next part of the passage, uh, after you see that what you've heard from the beginning remains, and if it does, you also remain in the Son and in the Father. Skip down, verse 27. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. You do not need to, anyone to teach you, but if his anointing teaches you all, all the things, then anything real, not kind of his thought, you remain in him. This So what does it mean to remain in him? What does it mean to remain? And as a, you know, as a churchy person, the, the word remain instantly brought me back to John's gospel about the, tr the vine and the branches, right? Remain in me as I remain in you. Let's read this passage together. John chapter 15. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Hi, Zach. Okay. Remain in me as I also, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So what does it mean to remain? What does it mean to remain in him? Who is him? Do you know, Zachary? <laughs> no? <laughs> he opened the door. <laughs> That's a first, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Verse 4. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Actually, I'm kind of proud. Zachary is now big enough to open closed doors. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm screwed. Anyways. <laughs> um, what was I talking about? Remain. What does it mean to remain in him? What does it mean to remain in him? Basically, what John is talking about here. He's, he's, you know, some scholars say that First John, the letter that we're going through, is a commentary on the gospel of John, where this passage comes from. And so the passage that we were reading, talking about remaining in him, is a commentary on this passage here. So that's why we need to understand, what does it mean to remain in him? Who is the him? The him is the true vine. Remain in the vine. I am the true vine. Who's talking here? Jesus. So Jesus is the true vine and my father, father, uh, the father is the gardener. What does the gardener do? The father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. This is really crazy here because, I mean, talking about whether you can lose your salvation, the main point that I need to make clear of that is you can't judge other people. You can't really judge other people. Um, you can't judge other people's hearts, but you can see their actions, right? But the thing is, look at the father's actions here. He cuts off the branch that bears no fruit, but the branch that 
does bear fruit, he prunes, which is an act of cutting. So either way, there's cutting involved. The branch that is fruitless gets cut off. The branch that is fruitful gets cut. It gets pruned so that there will be more fruit. All right, so crazy to remain in God, to remain in Jesus means that there's going to be pruning that happens. It's going to look like being cut. <laughs> it's going to look painful. It's going to, going to feel hard and challenging to be pruned. But that is what God, the gardener, God, the father does. Um, yeah, I'm so far off my notes now. I have no idea where, where to go from here. But let's continue in John chapter 15. It says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Real quickly here. Great. You know, Jesus is the vine. We are his branches and we need to remain in him. Um, and there's a crazy verse here that says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. People take that out of context. The context is this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, meaning that when you're, when the words of God remain in us, the things that we ask for are going to be the things that God wants. That's why it's going to be for the Father's glory. And that's why it's going to be done for you. So you, you remain in fellowship with God and the words remain in you. And then your prayer life looks more and more in line with the will of God. And those things will be done for you because it is God's will. And this is to the Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be more to be my disciples. Next, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that, that my joy may be complete in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So, um, you know, we, we think about what it means to, you know, why John talks about obedience so much, why John talks about surrendering to God so much. I mean, if you, it's, it's not random. It's not like, out of the blue, John's just like, obey, obey, this is the way. Um, this is the way that Jesus, the Son, relates to the Father. He says, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. All right? So, so Jesus keeps his Father's commands to remain in his love. And we, as, as, um, as Christians, we, we keep Jesus' commands to remain in his love. All right? And so what is the command? My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So obedience is not just about like memorization. It's not just about church attendance. The, the thing in context here to the commands that God is talking about, that Jesus is talking about here, very clearly, love each other. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So all of this, all of this remaining, all of this bearing fruit, all of this pruning, all of the obedience, all of the asking for whatever you want, um, all of the love, remaining in love, all of the friendship with God, all of that hinges upon this one command in verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. It's all about that. And so what does it mean to remain in him? I think my translation, just thinking about it, means this. Stay connected to Jesus, to remain in him, to remain in fellowship with God, just means this, stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected to Jesus. You know, even though we're socially distant, even though the church building is closed, we can't meet in Gardner right now, stay connected to Jesus. Even in the middle of protests and looting and wildfire, civil unrest, we stay connected to Jesus. Even though you're tired and you're weary, and you're broken down, you might feel burnt out. How do we get out of that? You stay connected to Jesus. That's it. But the thing is, it's not just about staying, what does that even look like? Staying connected to Jesus is about just having more quiet time, more time in your prayer closet, more time in isolation. Yes, that's definitely true. In fact, this has been the great silver lining of quarantine season, is that many Christians have have rejuvenated their devotional life, rejuvenated their daily quiet time life, rejuvenated their, their own personal spaces of, of worship and, and thanksgiving and prayer um, and, and, and scripture memorization and study. It's awesome. Stay connected to Jesus in that way. You need to have the word of God remain in you. That's so important. But also, what was the whole thing hinged upon? The vine and the branches the pruning, the friendship with God, remaining in love. What is that all about? What is that one thing that it hinged upon? The command of Jesus to love each other. So to stay connected to Jesus is not just some type of spiritual thing, but it has real ramifications in our physical and our relational world right now. To stay connected to Jesus means to love each other it's connected i mean i wanted to save this passage when we got to it in a couple weeks but we skip ahead to the next chapter in first john john chapter three this is how we know what love is jesus christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them how can the love of god be in that person dear children let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth our god is a god of action and truth our god is a god of love and justice and righteousness and so for us i'm thinking of that one quote by cornell west justice is what love looks like in public the way that we as the church stay connected to jesus the way that we remain in him is by exercising 
the love that we see that Jesus laid down his life for us on the cross. So we see and look at the cross. We look at what Jesus did for us. We stay connected to that. We look at the cross and we say, God, we thank you for the cross. We go to the cross. We say, thank you for your love. But then we let that love flow and, and fill our hearts so that we can also love each other in the same way that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And my friends, my, that's what it's about. That's essentially, that's, that's it. We love each other the way that Jesus loves us. And that is how we stay connected to Jesus. All right? Any questions? Just talk to me later. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for, for your word that gives life to us. We thank you so much for the hope that you've given to us. We thank you so much for just your son, that he laid down his life for us. God, our, our sin... Oh, God, our sin put him there on that cross. It was our sin. It was my sin, God, that put him there. Yet, he died for us. While we were enemies, he died for us. And so, God, we, we just thank you. We thank you. There's no other, there's nothing else that we can do. Even though we're living in crazy times right now, even though we feel burnt out, even though we feel just like, God, where are you? How long must we wait? God, there's, we have nothing to say to you except you are God and we are not. So we thank you. Thank you for what you have done for us. Help us to stay connected to your son. Help us to stay connected to Jesus, the true vine. We are just the branches, God. Prune us, God. Refine us, God. Expose us, God, so that we can bear more fruit, so that we can bring hope and restoration in your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.